Let me pray for us. Father, thank you uh, for your word. Uh, thank you for the way you uh, protected it and preserved it and uh, the way your spirit teaches it to us. Uh, thank you. Thank you for all the many pictures you've tucked away back in there for us to see later on. Um, I just enjoy seeing those and it affirms uh, my uh, ongoing and deepening belief uh, that this truly is your word, and your word is truth. Thank you. We love you. We pray your spirit would be our guide and our teacher tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Let's see. Yep, Joshua 1 through 5. Okay. Uh, so tonight, I thought I'd start this way. I want to show you some simple pictures that I believe have profound messages. Simple pictures, profound messages. Here's the first one. Simple picture, profound message, right? Simple picture, profound message. Simple picture, profound message. Simple picture, profound message. Each one of these that I've shown you, we could have, I could have showed you 50, uh, it's a picture travels strangely. It, it gets to our heart from our brain. Sometimes words kind of just stop. You know what I'm saying? But pictures have a way of getting further down in there, kind of like music. You know, sometimes music can touch you in a way that words can't, and sometimes pictures can do that same thing. All right, ready? Here comes another simple picture. Last one I'll show you tonight, simple picture. It's the Jordan River. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Thanks for that, Bill. <laughs> um, Joshua chapter 4, the end of verse 7. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. This picture for the Israelites was never to be forgotten. This picture of the Jordan. Simple picture, profound message. Right behind me. Okay, ready? Want to see it again? Here we go. Simple picture, <laughs> profound message. By the end of the night, I think you're going to agree with me that this is a very simple picture with a very profound message message. Simple picture. Profound message. What have we been talking about since September? Getting the uh, Hebrews, right? They got a promise in Genesis chapter 12 from God. He promised them three things. And what those things are? Land, seed, and blessing. 
He takes them to Egypt because the time wasn't right. He goes and he gets them out of Egypt. How does he do that? By grace, through faith, under blood. They head across the Red Sea. They go to Mount Sinai. Uh-oh. They rebel at Kadesh Barnea. And so the first generation dies off in the wilderness. Second generation is born, comes along, and they're standing right here. First five books. Remember I told you, Moses is writing saying, how did we get here? Here they are. They've been waiting since Genesis 12, but particularly the past 40 years, to go across the Jordan into the promised land. This is a huge event in the life of Israel. Okay? Up until this point, they couldn't be a nation. What do you have to have for a nation? You have to have people. You have to have, so where do we get the people? Right there. We have to have a constitution. Where do we get our constitution? Mount Sinai. What do we need now? Land. I got to get over here and I begin to become a nation. Okay. Huge day for Israel right here, or who, the people who will become Israel. All right, that's what we've been talking about for the past, goodness, number of months. We're finally here. Remember God told them in Genesis and Exodus, I promise you an inheritance. In the book of Numbers, they start heading toward that inheritance. They don't get there. The second generation does, and they possess the inheritance. And so Joshua is all about possessing their inheritance. So I have one word on the book of Joshua. Cleverly enough, that word is possess. Was it promised to them? Yes. Was it a done deal, in a sense, in God's mind? Yes. What did they have to do? Possess it. It had been promised to them. It had been given to them. It had been set aside for them and reserved for them. What did they have to do? They had to cross the Jordan and they had to possess it little by little. But who gave it to them? God did. Possess. Joshua, the book is about possess the inheritance that God promised them. Okay. The basics. Who wrote it? Probably Joshua. He may have had some help at the end, but probably Joshua put together the majority of the book. When did he write it? Mm, we don't exactly know when it came to its final form, but it was probably written at the end of the conquest. If you go to the end in chapter 24, remember he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so at the end of the book which is seven years of conquest, Joshua still seems to be alive. He still seems to be able to have written the book. And you say, what do you mean he still seems to have been alive? How old is Joshua when he goes in here? At least 80. He was 40 when he went off to be a spy. He wandered the wilderness for another 40 years. This dude is 80 years old, and he is a bad boy. <laughs> he and Caleb, you love this book. 
both Joshua and Caleb, the two guys who said go when 10 said no, they said, you know what? We could have kicked their rears 40 years ago, and we're going to kick them now. And they both go in and put the hurt on the Canaanites. These guys are animals. They are warriors, men of faith who know God and walk with God. So anyway, when does Joshua write this? I don't know. Probably at the end of the conquest, about 1399. Could have been a little bit later than that. Where? Don't know. Really don't have any idea. I'm sure a lot of people have a lot of ideas. But uh, Joshua probably retired to his hometown, and that's probably where he wrote it. Why? Why was Joshua written? To give, an un- to give an official account of the historical fulfillment of the Lord's promise to the patriarchs, particularly Abraham, to give Israel the land of Canaan by holy war. That's what Genesis 12, way back in Genesis 12, when God said, I'm going to give this land to you and your descendants after you. Genesis 12, where is the fulfillment of that? It's coming in this book. This book was written to say, when God speaks, God acts. What God promises, God fulfills. If you like memorizing scripture, and I hope you do, Numbers 23, 19. I've given you that before. Some of you know Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he promise? Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Answer, no. What he promises, he fulfills. And so here is historical fulfillment. He's promised it. Here it's coming to pass. Here's a big idea for tonight. God's people, so the the Hebrew people, can't possess their inheritance until they cross the river. Remember, you got everything you paid for. God's people can't possess their inheritance until they cross the river. That's the big idea for tonight. They've got to cross the river because it's on the other side of the river that they'll find their inheritance. So let's take a look. A very simple picture of the Jordan River. They're going to prepare to cross it. Chapter 1, Joshua chapter 1. Joshua is affirmed as God's leader. So the first nine verses, God talks about this is You know, my servant Moses is dead, therefore the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. You might want to retranslate that as, I will never leave you or forsake you. Huh. That was in Hebrews last week, wasn't it? Huh. Huh. It's not crazy. (laughs) So he affirms that this is his land, and he affirms Joshua's leadership. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. 
Don't turn to the left or to the right. Study on this book. Meditate on it day or night. Make sure you know it and make sure you obey it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Don't you love the Lord? Can you imagine following Moses? Can you imagine this? Right? Moses was a guy. Can you imagine being the guy who's going to follow Moses? If I'm Joshua, I'm saying, maybe we could write one more chapter about encouraging me. (laughs) It could be a short one, but I could use one more chapter. The Lord affirms Joshua as his leader. And he says, I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses. Joshua turns around then because God has charged Joshua to lead. Now Joshua charges the Israelites to follow. And so he spends a few verses here. Uh, Very interesting verse. Okay, Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel, go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. I want you to underline three days. Then he goes back to the tribes who are on the east, and he reminds them of what they had pledged to Israel to go fight on the west, hand, west side of the Jordan. So he reminds them of their obligation. So God charges Joshua to lead. Joshua charges the Israelites to follow. And then the eastern tribes say, they answer Joshua, we will do whatever you command us, and we will go wherever you send us. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses. That's not such a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) And may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your orders and does not obey your words and everything you command will be put to death. So be strong and courageous. What an affirmation for Joshua. They begin to cross the river by affirming Joshua's leadership. Now, when you go to Israel, you may see Jericho. Why is there a picture of Jericho here? Chapter 2. Joshua secretly sent two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove, and they go over to Jericho. Hmm. So they're preparing to cross the river. They've affirmed, Joshua's been affirmed as the leader, and now God is going to encourage his people. Chapter 2 is... Not exactly about Rahab, although Rahab is the key player. This is God encouraging his people. I want you to go across. Don't stop on me. I want you to come across. And so Joshua sends out two spies. And you're like, whoa, now what's happening here? Why do they go seek out a prostitute? Remember a few things here. One... Back in the book of Numbers, when they went to holy war, which they would have understood this to be, they were to abstain from sexual relations. So these spies were not looking for um, that. (laughs) They were probably looking for food and lodging and information. In those days, a prostitute usually would run an inn, I-N-N, an inn. 
So you could get some food, you could find some lodging, and then whatever else you <laughs> might want <laughs> would be right there for you, sort of like a, a Walmart, you know, it's right there. <laughs> so they would have known they could have gotten information at the inn, and the inn happened to be run by Rahab. Okay, God is encouraging his people. How many times when you read this chapter, what, what were the people saying about, we've heard about, we've heard about Yahweh and what he's done and what's happening to us. Our hearts are melting. We're all afraid of what's happening. Now, if you were the two spies, what happened at Kadesh Barnea? Two said go, ten said no. Here, here come two more. <laughs> and Joshua's smarter. He's like, this time I'm only sending two. I'm not sending 12. <laughs> Learn my lesson. <laughs> two are going to go and two are going to come back. <laughs> what are the two, two going to come back with? Oh, it says, right, at the end of chapter 2. Then the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. What is, what is God doing? Don't miss what he's doing. With, we get all caught up in Rahab. We'll talk about Rahab in just a second. But what is in the book? Why is chapter 2 here? To encourage God's people. Okay, before you hit Kadesh Barnea... You kind of turned around and went the other way. Don't do that. So he sends them to this place. They come in contact with this woman. She says, we're deathly afraid of you. They hide out for three days, and then they run back, and they say, everybody is deathly afraid of us. We can do this. Come on. All right, so chapter 2, Joshua is affirmed. God encourages his people. Chapter 2, wonderful picture here, wonderful picture of salvation. Look at this picture. Rahab is a prostitute. If you would have asked Rahab at the time, are you a sinner, what would she have said? <laughs> yes, absolutely. What does, where does she live? In a city destined for destruction and judgment. She sees, she knows her need for deliverance. Why? Because she and the whole town are under judgment. See what's happening here? What does she hear? She's heard about the Lord and what he's said. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God. What? Is that crazy? You're like, no, 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 Paul made that up in the New Testament. Yeah, you know, maybe he didn't. Maybe he found illustrations of that back here. She hears the word of God. She believes the word of God. Faith comes through hearing, and she believes that the Lord will rescue her, deliver her from the coming judgment. Is this great? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so she receives God's promise of deliverance through the word of the spies. This is an unbelievable chapter. Great little picture of what does salvation look like. person comes to grips with the fact that they are a sinner, 
in need of salvation. You ever ask people, you know, I've asked people before, I said, why do you need a Savior? Well, I don't know. Huh, really? You don't, you don't have any idea? No, I, you know, I'm a pretty good person. Tell me more. <laughs> what? It's not hard to figure out who, who... I'm not God, so I don't really know. But as far as it goes with me, people who are saved understand why they need a Savior and what they're being saved from. Those who don't know, I think they've got to at least be asking themselves the question, I don't know why I need a Savior. Rahab knew she was a sinner. No doubt in her mind. She is in a city doomed and given over to destruction and judgment. She knew the hammer is coming. She didn't know when, but she knows it's coming. She's heard of this God who delivers she wants in with him. So she hears about him. She trusts him and his word. Therefore, she receives deliverance from what? The coming judgment. And what happened first? Right? It shakes. Right? Walls fall in. Rescue Rahab and her family and all those people. And then what did Joshua do? He set it on fire. The next time God comes and says he'll shake the foundations and then he's going to burn it. Why would he do that? Oh, because he, he's already done it once. <laughs> this is such a great picture. Okay, now this is not why chapter 2 is in here, but this is such a great picture as you're thinking through, gosh, what is it? How do I talk to somebody about salvation? I don't know. Read Joshua 2 with them and see if anything, any light bulbs go on. This is a great little picture of what's happened to you and to me when we recognize our need for Christ and we trusted in him and we trusted in his character and in his word. And he says, I will deliver you. Is he good for his word? Yes. Yes. He's good for it. Joshua is affirmed as God's leader. God encourages his people in chapter 2. Isn't this good? Did you get all this from Joshua? So far, so good? Okay, gotcha. Everyone's nodding their head. Yeah, we got this. Okay, good, good, good. I love it. Crossing the river. The people prepare themselves. So the first five verses, he tells them what's going to happen uh, up through verse 5. And then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Okay. Joshua, or sorry, God gives Joshua his word. And so then in 6 through 13, this is what God says. You know, today I'll begin to make you a great leader. Give this command to the priests. When they reach the banks of the Jordan, take a few steps into the river and stop there. Isn't that amazing? What do you learn about faith from that? Sometimes we want to stand on the bank. You know, now the... the River was overflowing its banks. But sometimes we want to walk up to the scary place and we're going to wait for God to dry it up. Right? What does he tell the priests? Get your feet wet. Walk into it. Then I'm going to stop it. Sometimes he asks us to walk into it. 
Walk in, get our feet wet in faith. Okay, Lord, you said do this. It's cold. <laughs> My feet are getting wet. I got it, Bill. <laughs> Whoosh. Stops the whole thing. Sometimes we got to step into, step into this thing. So the priests had to step in. Oh my gosh, what else do you learn from, from this? Oh, so many things. So God gives Joshua his word. The leaders put their faith in God and put his word into action. Such a great principle. The leaders put their faith in God and put his word into action. What were they supposed to do? Walk into the middle. And God's damning this thing up. Now, I don't know if you're a priest and you get on, are your feet muddy and then it dries underneath you? I don't know, but they stood on dry ground. I don't know exactly how that happened. But in the same way he took them across the Red Sea on dry ground, he takes them across the Jordan on dry ground. A little bit of a mini-me, right? Because the first generation got the dry ground treatment. What did the second generation get? The dry ground treatment. Why? So they'll remember it forever and pass it on to their children. Because we've got a very simple picture, the Jordan River. But a profound message is coming out of this simple picture. The leaders put their faith in God and put his word into action. Then God keeps his word as his people trust and obey him. Okay, so you're the priest. you got the Ark of the Covenant, right? You walk out in the middle and you stop. Who's led the way into the river? God. All the people come walking through on dry ground. Who's the last person out of the river? God. He goes before. He stands beside while you're going past. And he follows up in the rear. Oh, come on, baby. Such good stuff. This is our God. This is what he does. Chapter 3. Okay, let's see. What else is in there? Oh, Okay, well, we'll keep moving. Gosh, this is such a big principle. The leaders put their faith in God and put his word into action. What demonstrates faith? Obeying the word of God, right? That's why they had such a struggle with with the book of James. Because it seemed like James is saying... You know, you got to have faith plus works to get saved. No, that's not what James is saying. James is saying, you show me your faith by this, I'll show you my faith by what I do. That's what these people are doing. We'll show you our faith by doing it. Oh, yeah, come on. Okay, God keeps his word as his people trust and obey him. Yeah, I said that. Chapter 3. Okay, so they're going to cross. Chapter 4. Oh, such good stuff. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. And you're thinking, okay, so these guys go out and they pick up a little baseball. No? What does it say? Uh, it says later on, each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder. That's a big rock. So they get 12 big rocks, 
They get 12 big rocks, and they build a, you know, I don't know what it is. They build something right there in Gilgal. 12 big rocks. All right. Let's see. And then Joshua builds one more memorial of how many rocks? Verse 9. Don't take my word for it. How many rocks? Same thing, right? 12 big rocks. Right there in the middle. Right there in the middle of the Jordan. All right. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever, the ones on the Gilgal side. So the men did as Joshua commanded. They get the 12 stones. Joshua sets up another pile of 12 stones in the middle, and they are here to this day. Some of you silly people, even to 2019? No, to this day when it was written. They're not there today. If someone tells you they're there today, they want your money. Okay, <laughs> just a word of the wise. Uh, let's see. Everyone safely on the other side. The priests cross over with the ark. Ark of the Lord as the people watched. Okay, uh, let's see. One memorial. It's to be an event never to be forgotten. And, oh, coincidentally, what day do they go over? The tenth day of the first month. The beginning, right? Passover occurs. It's a few days later. It's when they were to pick the lamb. And that was on the first, the tenth. They cross over basically at Passover. And it says they haven't even celebrated Passover for 40 years. What? They have not celebrated Passover for 40 years. You go, what are these people all about out here? They're set aside. They're set aside. They chose wandering in the wilderness instead of obeying God. And remember what he says to them? Burger King. Have it your way. The memorials are put into place. These are never to be forgotten. And that's why it says... And they are there to this day. So the crossing, the memorials, they get to the other side. Uh, let's see. When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all of the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. That's pretty good. I've just come to the other side. I'm in the promised land. I just stand in it. Guess who's there? The enemies. But what's, what's God already done? Put the fear of God into them. Oh, this is so good. At that time, the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise this second generation of Israelites. So not only have they not done Passover... But for 40 years, they have not performed the one sign of the covenant, and that is circumcision. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel. <laughs> Joshua had to circumcise them because all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. 
Those who left Egypt had all been circumcised, but none of those born after the Exodus during the years in the wilderness had been circumcised. The Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died. For they had disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord vowed he would not let them enter the land he had sworn to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So Joshua circumcised their sons, those who had grown up to take their father's places, for they had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. <laughs> well, I bet they did. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I've rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. The shame was they didn't get to where they were supposed to be going. What was the sh There was sort of double shame, right? First there was shame, you know, it appeared to be shame on God. He was strong enough to get them out of Egypt, but he wasn't strong enough to get them to the place that they were supposed to go. Second was the shame on the people, because they hadn't followed the Lord, and they hadn't allowed him to get them to where they were going. And the Lord says, I've rolled that away today. You're in it. You're in the promised land. How did we get here? Here you are. You are here today. When the Israelites were camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they celebrated Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. The very next day, they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. Whoa! Okay, the covenant mark of circumcision is done on the promised land side, right? They weren't circumcised over here, they were circumcised over here, right? I know, Bill, master of the obvious, got it, got it. They were circumcised on the promised land side. The covenant meal of Passover is held. What are they doing? Looking back on what got them out of Egypt. A meal to look back on what purchased their salvation. What? Okay. And now there is new corn, new grain from the other side. The manna that came down in the wilderness stopped coming down. Why? Because now there's food. There's food on that side, on that side of the Jordan, in the promised land side, right? So they don't, they don't need manna anymore because they've got new food in the promised land, right? So far, so good? All right. Ready? Say ready. Come on. Thank you. Let's apply this. Christians can't possess their inheritance until they cross the river. There's a very simple picture. The Jordan River with a very profound message. We've talked about how profound it was in their day. Well, there's another picture for our day, or another profound message. Same picture. 
Uh, Charles Spurgeon called this, he called the promised land, the land of man's soul. (laughs) Isn't that good? You don't get it. Oh, gosh. It's a land of man's soul, right? My soul is like a land. No? Still? Okay, come up after class. I'll try to explain it to you again. I'll try to slow down and explain it better. There can be no lasting conquest of man's soul without crossing the river. Until we die to sin and die to self, you will have no victory in the land of man's soul. Until you die to sin and die to self, particularly self-effort, there is no conquest in the land of man's soul. Making a little better sense now? Okay, here we go. Crossing the river. I'm going to use this as a metaphor for walking in the energy of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to use it as a picture of leaving your wandering in the wilderness of self-effort behind in order to walk with Joshua, Yeshua, across the river. When they came across the river, they were supposed to live over here. They're living in the promised land. They're not supposed to be living out here anymore, are they? They're supposed to be living here. What is this? This is their inheritance. What is our inheritance? We've talked about this a lot. You could pick Galatians 5, 22 and 23 for the Spirit. You could pick Ephesians 1, you know, 1 to 3, but particularly 3. What... Our inheritance is over there. You know what our inheritance is. You want it. And you say, I've tried my hardest and my best to get it, but it evades me. It eludes me. Yes, of course it does. Why? Because you've got to deal with these two things. And if you don't deal with those two things, you will have no conquest over there. You'll have no conquest in the land of man's soul. It'll get clear. This crossing the river picture is an illustration of Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. That's why next week we're going to read Romans 5. And the week after that, 6. And the week after that, 7. And the week after that, eight. And then we'll come back to Joshua. This is such a profound metaphor, picture, and illustration of how we are to walk as Christians that I can't keep going in Joshua. I have to stop. I want to connect it to the New Testament. We want to walk through what does it mean to live over here and have victory 
Because so many of us get caught up in the wilderness of self-effort. And we go, I see it. I want it. I don't know how to get it. And that's why Moses has come along, the legalists, to say, just do this and don't do that. And you, can, you will have victory over here. Wrong. That's why Moses didn't lead into the promised land. Who did? Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua. That's why he leads you over here. It has a lot to do with him, not Moses and not the law. It has to do with Jesus. Right? Okay. Gosh. Here we go. Now, we're not going to get anywhere tonight. We're just going to hit on a couple of things, and you have to wait till next week, Romans 5. We'll start peeling the layers of the onion so that you can see this. Crossing the river, two memorials were built. One was buried under the water. You say, how is this a picture of Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8? Here it is right here. The identical memorial that's built on the promised land side is also put here. What happens when the water comes over the top? This one is buried. What happens when I'm baptized? What does it show? My death, burial, and then I come up out of the water to resurrection. There's resurrection. Death and burial, here's resurrection. The same memorial that went under the water in death is now on the other side in the promised land. Oh, seriously? I know I've told you this before, but this is, this is, oh, this is unbelievable stuff. The other one's raised to the newness of life on the other side. So I've got a picture here of death, burial, and resurrection coming and living now in the promised land. It's a picture of a New Testament believer's baptism, unity with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. That is Romans 6. And so in that, it's an illustration of a believer's death and new life. Two memorials were built. Circumcision. Eek. If you've read both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you know circumcision doesn't just mean a physical act. You say, Bill, that's interesting. Give me an example. Thank you. I will. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. I know Colossians is in the New Testament, but if you want to turn there, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Why is it important that they didn't get circumcised until the promised land side? Because first you've got to deal with sin. You've got to deal with the sin issue, death and burial. How does God get me away from the sin issue? He kills me off. He raises me to new life, and he's got to circumcise me. Circumcises the old part of me away so that I can walk in newness of life. 
Colossians 2, verse 20, you have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of the world. Uh, 23, or actually, he, talk, he goes on, so why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. He goes on in chapter 3 of Colossians, and he says, Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. He goes on to verse 5, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. He says, based on your identity, in faith, believe God, believe his word, and put it into practice. That's the part where we all trip. Because we go, whoa, what does that mean? How do we do that? We'll get there. This is just a great picture of we've got to do baptism And then on the other side, we've got circumcision. It's the putting off, the cutting off of self-effort. Every person who's sitting out here hearing my voice says, I'm still trying. Don't get angry. Okay, next time that happens, I'm not going to get angry. How's that working for you? Probably not very well. Right? What is that? Self-effort. Self-effort. And you say, huh, I don't get the Christian life. I guess this is as good as it gets. I may as well, I guess I live the best I can, and then I die, and something happens. Because I don't know how to make really any progress in the Christian life. There's at least one person sitting at a table in this room tonight who's thinking that. Guaranteed. I'd sure like to make some progress, but I can't. I don't know how. Every time I try, I fail. It's good for a day. It might even be good for three days. But after that, crash and burn. We have to follow. The circumcision has already happened. We don't do it. Christ did it. That's why if you're memorizing Scripture, Galatians 2.20 is a great place to start. Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live tonight, the life you live, how are you living it? By faith in the sun. Really? Really? Are you living by faith tonight? Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Really? Are you really living by faith tonight? If so, you're far more advanced in the Christian life than I am. I don't think about this enough. But what does Paul say back in Colossians? Why did I take my bookmark out? Here it is, here it is, here it is. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. 
For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. And you say, yes, I believe that. Do you believe it tonight? Are you walking in that same faith tonight? The faith that you entered into this journey Are you living that same faith tonight? The faith that God is empowering me and living in me? Or do you say, I'm really not. I'm really kind of just living my life. Exactly. This is where Paul is trying to encourage us to go. Is to go here. What's over here? After the circumcision. Well, Passover. Remember, they do Passover because we're looking back on the blood of the sacrificed lamb. And what does God provide on the promised land side? New food, new energy. He didn't provide it for them over here in the wilderness of self-effort. He provided it for them here. There's new energy over here for this new, to live in this new land, the land of Mansoul. How do we live in here? We live off the new energy that God has given us. Not what, who is the new energy? The Holy Spirit. Okay. Every Christian must cross the river. Every Christian must get his or her arms around their new identity in Christ. Every Christian must learn to walk in accordance with their new position in Christ. Every Christian must begin to live more consciously of both death to self and self-effort. We must walk as men and women made new. Though you are not all you will be, you are no longer who you were. You have been raised to newness of life in Christ Jesus by the power of God. That is what we are to walk in faith every day. Today, I am moving and breathing and eating and speaking and acting because the life of God is at work in my life. And greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. We have this idea that once I'm saved and I'm on this side, Bill, I'm tracking with you, I have this idea that once I'm over here, I can defeat sin. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You have never overcome sin in your whole entire life. Not even as a Christian. You have no ability or power to overcome sin. Who does? The only one who's ever done it. The Holy Spirit who energized Christ. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can kill sin. Who can take care of it. You think you're just going to gut it up and you're going to self-effort and you're going to say, I'm going to quit doing this or I'm going to start doing that. And you think it's going to come from the energy of the flesh. That's this. That's the wilderness of self-effort. That's your flesh talking. 
How do you do this? Ah, this is what we got to figure out. And we can. Paul has told us how to do this. Okay, we have four minutes left. I'm going to wrap this up. Next week is Romans 5. I'm trying to whet your appetite. You cannot conquer sin. Let's pretend it's anger. Or go by uh, respectable sins. Just turn to any page. Any page in respectable sins. Any page. <laughs> and ask yourself, can I defeat this? Yes, I can. I can, <clears throat> I can exert my will against this sin and I can bring it into submission. No, you can't. You may think you can for a day or a week or a month, but guess what? You're wrong. Because no one, not one of us, even raised in newness of life, can defeat sin. But the Holy Spirit can. And how have I been raised in newness of life? The Holy Spirit. You go, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit lives in me. Really? Do you have faith that he does? Tonight? Could he do this? And you say, well, maybe I just don't have enough faith. Stop, stop, stop. That's not what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit will do these things. You have to first come to grips with the fact that you have a new identity and you're no longer who you were. You've been raised to newness of life. And so who do I have to believe? God and his word is more true than what I think, than what I feel, or my past experience. I have to believe God and his word most of all. Is that going to be challenged every day? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And your first step is to say, Daddy, I want to not be angry, but I can't stop myself. And do you know what he does? Some of you are sitting there thinking, he goes, Oh, Bill, I'm so disappointed in you. I haven't sent you to seminary. You got a doctorate. <laughs> oh. Really, Bill, I just, I need a minute. <laughs> and, and you think you're just left standing there because God's disappointed in you. Instead, he says, I know. Let me help you. You can't do this, but I can. Will you let me? Yep. <laughs> yep. That's what we're not used to. We're used to performing. And as long as we keep trying to perform for God, nothing gets accomplished. you got to stop performing. Pretty well he knows all about you. <laughs> he pretty well knows how you think. He says he knows what you think, what you say before you think it or say it. He pretty well knows what you've done. He pretty well knows how your inclinations go. He pretty well knows you. And yet he loves you. And he says, I'm ready, willing, and able to help you. Do you see your need? Because if you do, here I am, ready to help you. But as long as you want to do it by yourself, he says, let me know how that works for you. I'll be right here. I'll be waiting for you. He wants to help us. We have to get another new handle on our true identity. 
How about you tonight? What would you say best characterizes your daily energy for walking the Christian walk? The strength of the flesh or the strength of the spirit? Are you walking in the reality of your new identity in Christ, a man or woman made new? Do you feel stuck or stagnant in your walk? When I read Hebrews 5 last week, by this time many of you, my brethren, should be teachers. Remember that part in Hebrews 5? You should have seen some of your faces. Oh, oh. I, should have, I, I think I probably have a video camera here somewhere. <laughs> Maybe I'll figure out a way to play it. You feel stuck or stagnant? If you do, then this applies to you. If you don't, this applies to you. I got 100% coverage. This is a very simple picture, the Jordan River, with a very profound message, not only in Joshua's day, but in our day. For next week, read Romans 5. And if you get through it once, I would encourage you, read it again. And if you finish it twice, go ahead, take a risk. Read it a third time. <laughs> Meaty, heavy stuff. We're going to take apart Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 over the next several weeks. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ Jesus. We still just are scratching the surface. Uh, would you cause us to come to a new realization of our identity in Jesus and what all he has done for us, not just to rescue us from the judgment to come, but what he does for us every single day and how we can truly walk as men and women made new. Would you do that for us, in us, and through us, please? And help us as we study. Uh, and even this week as we read uh, Romans chapter 5, would you begin through your spirit to communicate these truths deep into our hearts and into our souls. Uh, cleanse us from wrong ideas. Nourish us on your word and on this new energy, this new grain, this new corn uh, that's on the promised land side so that we can walk that way. Uh, we long to do it because we love you and we want to walk in a way that brings you glory and honor. And so we pray for this, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.